This is the Impossible Things Podcast. Here are three average guys discussing the impossible. Jesse Human, Jimmy Donahue, and your host, Kyle Cole. Welcome back to the Impossible Things Podcast. It is me, Kyle, here with... Uh, Jesse. And uh, we are actually recording mere feet from each other this time. Mm-hmm. In my backyard. That's right. For a change of scenery. It's, it's pleasant. We're outside. I think it is. It's nice and cool. Overcast. Yeah. It's kind of a nice atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're missing Jimmy today. Ah, oh, Jimmy. We, well, well, we're optimistic that we can actually get a recording session together while he's in China. Getting him prepared to go to China apparently is where we, uh, we lacked some time. Bummer. It happens. Bummer. Yes, very much so. Jimmy, you are missed. Yep. Uh, so how are you, Jesse? I'm okay. I'm a little sleepy, I guess. I just caught myself yawning here. You know, it happens. It does. It sure does. <laughs> it's almost my bedtime. Ah, well, then we will, we will propel ourselves through this conversation. Cool. Let us. <laughs> what are we talking about tonight? Um, we are talking about the illustrious topic of ion drives. Ion drives. Ion ion propulsion. Ion propulsion, as in uh, going into space and generating thrust with uh, other than rockets, I guess. Which there's a lot of inefficiencies to. Also, you have to carry the fuel. Yeah. Well, and it's there's danger in that too, right? Yeah, right. The combustion. Exactly. So what? So what's the alternative? What is an ion drive? So the ion drive is actually not all that impossible. Uh, they are in use. NASA has a couple of new models in production, but they already had a couple they were using, or one they were using at least. They still use fuel, but it's uh, it's like a gas. It's called xenon, which you might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. It can be stored in a high volume in a compact area, and then uh, as it's released into its energy state, it's much more efficient and productive than you know a, a traditional rocket fuel, which would have to be a liquid. Right. Well, this looks like it's the catalyst of all this is like electricity. Instead of like um, ignition, yeah, seems a lot more controlled, a lot easier to control, a lot safer because you're not essentially starting a fire. Mm-hmm. Is that the idea? Yeah, that sounds like it. I, I gotta say, I really don't understand a lot of how it works, but I think that is the general principle. They're ionizing, or yeah, ionizing. I mean, that is what it's called. Just. I'm just going to throw that out there with no uh, explanation as to what ionization is. Well, this is so the article that I, I I pulled a couple of articles actually from NASA's website, and the one that they have here that like explains how it works, it like mm-hmm. explains it in relation to uh, traditional like chemical, like like chemical ignition based engines. Um, and so what they say is they say. Uh, 
an ion thruster ionizes propellant, which would be the xenon in the case of, in the case of their particular uh, propellant, their particular engine, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, works by adding or removing electrons to produce ions. Most thrusters ionize propellant by electron bombardment. A high-energy electron, negative charge, collides with a propellant atom, a neutral charge, releasing electrons from the propellant atom and resulting in a positively charged ion. The gas produced consists of positive ions and negative electrons in proportions that result in no overall electric charge. This is called plasma. Plasma has some of the properties of gas, but is affected by electric and magnetic fields. Common examples are lightning and the substance inside fluorescent light bulbs. So essentially, the way I read this, at least, is it's the engine is propelled forward by focusing, like, I don't know, the, the reaction between, yeah, I mean, I guess the reaction of plasma to the environment. Is that how you take that? Yeah, I think so. It's... Uh... I was just looking into ionization a little bit. It's, yeah, it's uh, it acquires a negative, an atom or molecule acquires a negative charge, negative or positive charge, by losing electrons to form ions, yeah. So that's, I guess that's right. Still doesn't kind of make sense to me. Like, there's a, there's a component here that I don't really, like, how does that, yeah, don't completely we, agreed. Don't we charge molecules all the time? Well, that like that's what I don't get is like okay, so in space it's a vacuum, right? Like that's the mm -hmm. that's the thing. So it's like all the traditional mediums we would use to like push like a jet forward or a boat forward, where there's like oh, you're pushing against the the resistance of water in a, in the ocean, and you're you're pushing against the resistance of air, and then you're kind of like floating on the wings are sitting on that like that medium. Like, you don't have any of that in space. You're just kind of out there. So, like, how... So far, the only thing I know about is, like, compressed gas is what, like, pushes, you know, like, bumps the thrusters of, like, a capsule to rotate it or anything. And that's kind of all you're left with. Kind of like that scene from Wally, -E where, like, Wally's -E got the fire extinguisher and he's, like, pushing himself backwards. Yeah. It's like, that's how I envision it. But, like, how does this, like, plasma creation create that kind of reaction? Because it's, like... I feel like they're just like kind of like it's a ball of energy that they put out there and it's not actually pushing against anything. But it, I, I think that's assumed, or at least maybe that's what I... Oh, I don't know. Like, well, actually, there's a third paragraph here, or fourth paragraph here that says, the ions migrate towards grids that contain thousands of very precisely aligned holes at the aft end of the ion thruster. Uh, the first grid is positively charged electrode, and that maybe that's how it is, is that, like, the, elect the electricity is to draw the ions one direction, and that's what's pushing against the ship, which is what essentially pushes it forward. The same as if it was compressed gas or compressed, uh, compressed air. Okay. I'll buy it. But I agree with you. Like, that, that seems to be the piece I cannot wrap my head around is what pushes the ship forward. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, very, it's an interesting thing because it's like, okay, they've created a chemical reaction. Which is great. Normally, you just focus that down, and you're good to go. Well, not a chemical reaction. They've created a reaction, an energy reaction. And with chemicals, you just focus that energy one direction, and that's fine. But like, like I said, this seems like what they've done is they've charged ions, and they just sit there. Like, how do you make the ions move in a direction? But it sounds like there's like an electronic plate 
And that's actually the image that they show in a different article that I have that I'm going to post to the site. It kind of shows the screen that's on the end. Yeah. I'm looking and maybe at that. that screen draws the ions one direction, and that's what pushes it out. Sure. I like right. it. Like, I mean, I'll take it. I guess. That's great. Ugh, so confusing. <laughs> that's why we do this podcast and not invent these things. Thank God. But like this, so like this though, this other article that shows this image of the what they call the next thruster, the next project. Oh yeah, this is a good it's one. It's a seven a seven kilowatt ion thruster that can provide the capabilities needed in the future. Which doesn't really say what the like the the force of energy it is, but I guess, I guess in a vacuum, well, in a vacuum there'd still be a force of energy. But uh, this says that they've been running this thing for what did they say? I think it's I been operated it. over forty three thousand hours. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh, so 30 million newton seconds of total impulse to the spacecraft. Interesting. I mean, I guess if you're in a vacuum, it doesn't take as much energy to move the ship forward either. You're not really pushing through. It's not like air where you're pushing through some resistance or water, yeah. like, and you're just trying to make the most of the situation that you're in. Like, there, there, there's nothing to hold yeah. you back. You yeah. know, if, if somebody like goes up with their finger and like pushes the ship, it should move. It's true. It's interesting. Providing. It's interesting that they've been able to run it that much, though, without there being a big problem, you know? Mm -hmm. The thing, it's just such a, it's an interesting problem. Because you give the example of pushing your finger up against the ship and it should move. But that's assuming that you don't just push yourself away. That's so true. Well, you have, no, you have no traction, so it's not like you can really push it, but like... Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you could provide yourself traction and you could provide enough force to, like, push it, it should just move there. Mm -hmm. I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is it just doesn't take as much energy in space to move an object of any size that it does on Earth. But any action produces an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah, but is that true in a vacuum, though? <laughs> Unless acted upon by an exterior oh my god <laughs> should let you finish your sentences first before I open my stupid mouth <laughs> okay so another article this yeah. one has a, has a good picture of something that looks very um, enterprisey on the front um, where is this one Ooh. this one is about this one's called NASA tests impossible no fuel quantum space engine and it actually works no fuel space. So what they call this one, this this one, this drive has a much cooler name. I mean, like, it, it's not an acronym that you can say as a name, but it's called the Quantum Vacuum Plasma Thruster, the QV, Q, QVPT. And apparently the common name of it is Anomalous Thrust Device. <laughs> Anomalous Thrust. That's cool. So apparently, like, it's called a... It's called a Kanai drive. But, like, basically what it was is it sounds to me like there's this, this space agency finally agreed to test the American-made variant called the Kanai drive. And they said, okay, we'll test your stupid drive. That won't work, except for it actually did. <laughs> so they kind, of, they kind of decided to eat their words because they had to, and that's why they refer to it as an anomalous thrust device. <sighs> that's great. 
What about uh, the M drive? M drive. Ah. You click something about that. Actually, two somethings, if I'm not mistaken. So the M drive is funny. So the M drive is made by, let's see here. The, the Kenne Incorporated? Right. Interesting, right? called the Kine Incorporated, and they are the inventor of the Kine Drive, or Kanai, or however you pronounce it. Kine, I think, is probably more accurate. Um, so they say it's related to the M-Drive, first demonstrated by British engineer Roger Schwarer Schwar- Schwar- in 2003. Both are closed systems filled with microwaves and with no exhaust, yet which the inventor claim, inventors claim do produce thrust, which, to me, that sentence reads as, it's an anomalous thrust device. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the same thing. <laughs> it does. Yeah. Most physicists believe that these far-out systems cannot work and that their potential benefits, such as getting to Mars in 10 weeks, are illusory. After all, the law of conservation of momentum says that a rocket cannot accelerate forward without some form of exhaust ejected backward. Yet the drum, the drumbeat goes on. Joel Rodel claimed on the NASA Space Flight Forum that, that a NASA paper, measurement of impulsive thrust from a closed radio frequency cavity in a vacuum, has finally been peer-reviewed and accepted for publication by the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, but this cannot yet be confirmed. This article, by the way, was produced, pardon the helicopter. Yep, we're outside in the elements. Okay, so this article was published on September 2nd, 2016. It just sounds to me like this isn't... Like, I mean, we, we've had instances like this in the past on the podcast. However, this, like, where, where things are, like, fairly current. Like, oh, this is going on right now. Mm-hmm. This is, like, going on right now. Like, Yeah. They say a little later down, they say 2017 seems like a date that they could do a launch. That would be so cool. The launch date has yet been announced, but 2017 seems likely. Ah, <clears throat> oh, man. The, like it. Yeah, they formed a, a company called Theseus with industrial partners, somebody else, and somebody else, and somebody else to launch a satellite. That's when they said no, no launch date has been set. But Theseus will offer the thruster platforms to the satellite marketplace. Huh. So they're small, I think is what they're getting at. They're not, they're not at the, the size, the, uh, what do you call it? They're not big enough to get a ship to Mars yet, but it could be a more efficient way of propelling satellites around at this stage. Right. And that's what this says. This says a, a six-unit satellite is the size of a small shoebox, and that's, that's what can I is going to launch it on is that so it's mm-hmm. a, it's a really small satellite but like they they plan to leave the leave the satellite alone for it's a 6 months rather than the 6 weeks that would be the typical for a satellite this size mm-hmm. and the adul- it, like the it's a pretty low altitude too it's only 150 miles okay. so they're they're I think they're hoping to leave it up what like 10 times longer potentially well more than that Wait, no, not 10 times. That's way longer. That's five years. Yeah, bad math. <laughs> they plan on leaving it up a significant amount of time longer, like over double uh, what, it, what it normally would. 
Yeah, you're right. So it'll just be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what the the outcome of this is. Yeah, I think uh, we're trying to follow this. This is really interesting. I like it when our stuff is current. Oh, right, absolutely. Like there's there's actually there's a um, uh, what's it called a crowdfunding campaign to fund to fund uh, ion drives or a drive like this for under thirty thousand dollars. And the quote on the page says, "If it works, it will bring Star Trek technology into real life." Which I very, very much can see this. Uh, how is this different than Ion Drive, though? It, they don't really get into the science in this article, do they? Um, oh, maybe. We, I think we're tying. Microwaves. Well, like it's, yeah, microwaves and electromagnetism. But it says quantum vacuum virtual plasma. Virtual plasma. Well, that's what it says. It's pushing against. I think okay. like it, I think the virtual plasma is like it's it, the drive itself generates the plasma. The thing is, is like you could tie a bunch of lines from this article to the other ones explaining how, like the Kanai drive works. I think, and I think you could arrive at the same theory. Is just that there's it creates plasma. The electromagnetism like pushes away from the plasma that's in itself, and it moves forward. Okay, that's mysterious. That but like, if you th- like, at least like, I'm starting to like think about the the potentials, the endless potential of this. Is that like most of the like most of a rocket in general, like the payload of it is like just minuscule compared to the overall volume of the rocket. Like, I mean, you remember the Apollo missions? Like that little tiny capsule had to have like that massive rocket underneath it just to get the thing out in out of the atmosphere. Yep. And like, if this thing has enough force, like. To keep it up when it's up there like you could have a much bigger ship because you essentially like you, you can like kind of like the space station is now you can get the get the craft out there into space and then attach the engine to it while it's up there like kind of like most of the Star Trek movies you see them docked up in space like the trouble like you, they never land these things on earth like the size of them it's like it's probably to get the, get it out of the atmosphere is just too much energy so then you got the space elevator the space elevator. Yeah. So you take the space elevator up to the Enterprise loading platform. That's it. And then you just take off from there. What's the problem? There's no problem. That is perfect. Problem solved. <laughs> so see, I guess this thing isn't really impossible. Yeah, I love the space elevator. I, it just <laughs> captures my imagination. And so... Because it's just ridiculous enough, but it's just plausible enough that... Yeah. <laughs> You want to you want to just like spit in its face and say it's preposterous, but it's you, not. <laughs> you just can't. Yeah, it's it's a good enough. Oh man, it's, it's too good. It's actually really brilliant. <laughs> oh man, this is, so I guess this isn't a matter of like if the ion drive is possible. It's completely possible. And I had said this right before we started recording, and I kind of regret saying it then, but I'm going to repeat it now. It's not a matter of if it's possible. It's a matter of. How long will it be before this technology is practical to actually use in the way that we're all envisioning this? Yeah. So who knows? I mean, they've got it. Just like you said before, we were recording. It's just a matter of scaling it up. Yeah. What's the uh, Moore's Law that works in reverse, right? Right. Double the size every... What is it? 
I don't know. <laughs> you have to. So it's you like have the size of a processor chip every two years? Or three or something like that. Yeah. Hang on. We're going to look this can up. We, can we double the size of a ion drive every every two years, three years reliably? It doubles every year. Every year. And it's it's actually, it's not... It's the, the number of transistors per square inch on an integrated circuit has doubled every year since their invention. Right. It's just insane. And yeah. it, like... We're not really talking about anything. It's certainly not more complicated than an integrated circuit. In, in fact, it probably is all really it is. Like, Yeah. I, I mean, like if they've been running this thing for, you know, tens of thousands of hours, then like isn't that well over a year anyway? <laughs> like by the time they like decommission that test drive, they'll already like have another more efficient, larger version with more thrust. This is just so cool. This is such a cool technology. I really thought this was going to be more harebrained than it actually is. Yeah. Oh, so here's something else about the M drive that I had stumbled across when I was looking for something else. It's actually from uh, November 2016. So this is even an update over Ooh. from September. <laughs> so the results of a NASA test into what they're calling here warp drive technology have been leaked onto the internet and apparently show it is possible. Uh, the findings appear to be good news. I'm just reading the article here. That the new technology could fly spaceships to Mars, put men on the moon four hours and make flying cars possible actually works in theory. The problem is it got, it was leaked onto the NASA space flight fan forum on Saturday. I'm assuming around November sometime before it was swiftly deleted by the organization, but not before sci-fi fans had caught glimpse of it. Fancy. So. So, like, what's interesting, though, is, like, so this this thing, this particular topic that I thought, like, was completely preposterous before I researched it at all, mm-hmm. actually enables two or three of our other topics. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, That's crazy. So there's another... Uh, so when I went... When I started researching this, I looked at Ion drives and I saw, oh, it's it's happening. It's it's for real. It's a thing. So then I I thought maybe we just got the name wrong. Maybe we meant warp drive. Ooh. So I started looking into warp drive. And and that's when you found that. Mm-hmm. And the M drive, I think, does does qualify as what we're talking about as a warp drive. So, but, like, traditionally when we think of warp drive, though, we think of that thing that, like, you know, you're just kind of, you're thrusting along, you're putting around the universe, and then you want to, like, yeah, you want to take off. (laughs) Well, warp drive in this, warp drive in this instance means that uh, warping the space-time continuum. Right. So that is... You're sliding. You're kind of sliding down a gravity hill. Yeah. You've created in front of you. You've created a, a. If it were air, you could say lower. You've created a lower pressure in front and higher pressure behind, so that you're being, you're coasting or you're gliding. But hmm. it's not obviously it's space, so there's not air pressure to worry about. But it's actually you're creating a gravity field, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Which is 
just preposterous. <laughs> but interesting. And that's uh, that is a whole different ball of wax than the M drive and what we were talking about. This is the Al um, Kubiri warp drive. And this is actually here's an article from January twentieth, twenty seventeen. And it has a little graphic. We should we shall post this. It has a little graphic of uh, a flat space time with a a cylinder kind of tipped at 45 degree angle so you can get a visual of that uh, that sliding okay I was trying to, you know very inaccurately to describe uh, but it's a uh, it's just crazy that they could that they think they can just manipulate space time like that well and like it it's seemingly like they act like it's so easy. <laughs> like, oh, you just bend this. You just bend this thing like a sheet of paper, and you're like, I, I don't think that's a thing, guys. The craziest thing about it is, if I'm reading these things right, they're saying that Einstein was wrong. Right. And again, that's something that I don't really, I can't. I can't get my head around like his his theory in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> to refute it is absolutely beyond me. But I mean, we've just assumed that that special relativity is is the way the world is, and now we're going to say that that faster than light speed travel might be possible. Yeah, and like, well, and that that it's just so easy though. That's the thing I can't like. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can imagine somebody would refute Einstein at some point. Like, even though I don't understand it, somebody does. And somebody understands it well enough and made it's made it their life work that they could potentially like discover ways to refute that. Probably not like easy, but definitely likely. But as far as the like, just kind of like blanket statement of well, you just do this and you're you're set, mm-hmm. and it's like like there's no implication to it, and that it's no big deal. And that I can't really get get behind, but like again, this like ion drive thing opens up an entire new window to things that like nobody would have ever thought was possible, yeah. like even ten years ago. Yeah. So, how do we know that there's not implications to like ion drives being a thing that would make that warp capability easier? Like we just don't know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to rule it out because ion drives like made six other things on our list possible. So yeah, the thing that's craziest. Maybe, I don't know. There's a lot of things that's crazy about the warp drive. But the the ship is not actually moving. It goes inside this warp bubble, and right. then the bubble moves around, and so the ship isn't... The ship is, like, kind of static in space, and this little pocket of space it's, that it's inside is the thing that's being transported. And that's, like, that's an interesting way to think about it, because a, a lot of the early, like, ways to refute the warp drive thing is like, well, you can't, you just can't move people that fast. Even if you like could move an object that fast and it didn't tear itself up, you can't move people that fast. But like, kind of the way like your brain sits inside your skull as you move around, mm-hmm. your brain isn't really like moving inside of its relative like space. It's in your yeah. head. Your head's moving that fast. Like same way with this warp drive. So, so I would imagine that similar to a concussion, if you stop the bubble too quickly. You probably have a very big problem on your hands yeah. for the ship and the people on it. 
But how do you stop it? I don't... The same way you stop your head, you have to ease into it. Like, it's not going to be what we see in the Star Trek movies where it just, like, screeches to a halt and you're like, oh, here we are. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that that's a thing. But, again, like, there's so much other possibility. Like, like completely flip the, flip the argument on its head or flip the concept on its head. Yeah. What, if the, what if the bubble isn't moving at all? What if the bubble is just moving space around itself? So nothing's actually moving where you are. Everything else is moving around you. So you don't need to stop. Quick or slow or anything, you need to stop the universe. Yeah, we need to stop the whole universe. Oh, great! Which I would love to do. Yeah, save me a lot of time and frustration. Well, this article does admit that even if there was a way to get into the bubble that's moving, they don't know a way to get out of it yet. So, yeah, probably Probably not without killing people. Probably best not to jump in at this point. Well, at least not with live people. Just just throw like a $40 billion object in there and see if it comes out the other side. They've got the equation here, though. DS2 equals minus parentheses. Of course. Yeah, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Greek to me, but I'm sure it's, it's very clever. But man, so interesting. Ugh. The possibilities are just eternal <laughs> now. Like, I mean, just the fact that this ion drive thing exists makes me so much more optimistic about NASA in general. Just not that I thought that they were useless, but like, they just haven't, like, there's nothing public that they've delivered lately that is big enough that the entire country's talking about it. Yeah. Like, everybody's talking about SpaceX or, you know, like the work that astronauts are doing with cosmonauts in the International Space Station, which is kind of a project of NASA, but. It's still not. Yeah. It's not landing on the damn moon. Right. Or going to Mars or, you know, like, yeah. taking off into space in the space shuttle. Like, I'm glad they decommissioned those, but, like, there hasn't been anything really to, like, pique everybody's interest again yeah. yet. So, Progress is slowed, at least on the... Uh, at least on the big, the big grand thing. consciousness. Yes. Yes, indeed. So... Do you think even going to Mars would be, would kind of uh, reignite that that interest? Well, yeah, completely. Like, especially just with the like the visibility of that concept in general, like like the movie we talked about, and just the fact that like we sent rovers there, like we've done stuff there now that it's like sending a person there or sending people there would be like. And, they, and, like, they wouldn't be there. It's not like the moon where it's like, they landed on the moon, that's great. And then, like, a couple hours later, they get up and they come back. Like, they wouldn't be coming back potentially ever. Yeah, that's right. So, like, we, we would have to keep a vested interest as a society because we're going to be watching these people either live or die six months away from us, you know? Yeah, that's right. Like, the thing is, by the time, like, we find out that they've died, they'll have been dead for three months or, yeah. or a week or whatever the transmission loop is. Well. But it's... Uh, I, like I, this, the thing about this ion drive, though, that like makes that even more like plausible. Because I really thought it was kind of far fetched for us to like send something that far. Is like part of the issue is fuel. Yeah. And like xenon takes like infinitely less space, mm-hmm. and has like potentially a potentially more productive reaction. So it sounds like, I, and I mean, I'm sure they'll test it with like another rover or something to send to Mars first, just to see what the you know, see what their fuel capacity is, yeah. but like, you would think it's just like it's a like a really, I mean, 
to me, this is like a no-brainer. Like, they have to start using this technology as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. But, nonetheless, we talk about impossible things. Yeah. Do you think... Sorry to jump in. It's okay. Do you think that ion technology has any implications for energy saving on Earth? Oh, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. That, like, I mean, it, the thing is, is once you cause that kind of react, like the thing that generates electricity is rotating a magnet inside of a copper coil. How you get that rotation is completely irrelevant. You can use water wheel you can use you know coal to heat water to spin the the turbine you can use nuclear reaction to do that like you really can use anything but once you spin the thing at a particular frequency you're you've got electricity so yeah absolutely if you can focus enough energy to spin the turbine Hmm. with ion like an ion reaction like absolutely you could totally generate electricity and if xenon's a relatively like renewable energy then you might have eternal power uh, I wonder how how rare or abundant xenon is let's see if that's a quick question we can ask the Googles. but I wondered also too if uh, it's thrust is minimal and it only really works because there isn't very much resistance in space and maybe that's why maybe it's been explored terrestrially and abandoned because it didn't it didn't amount to much in our atmosphere I I don't know maybe but like the fact that they're relating this to being like flying cars kind of makes me think that there's some sort of energy property that it can be applied inside of our atmosphere interesting I mean, like, what produces xenon, though, like, makes me think it's still, like, a relatively, not limited, but limited enough. It says it's a product. Radioactive xenon-135 is produced by beta decay from iodine-135, a product of nuclear fission. Oh, yeah. Well. Yeah, it's radioactive. It's related to radioactive decay. So you that tells you right there that no, nobody's going to want to use this for... <laughs> renewable energy in quote unquote it's a, it's still like the the concept of ion energy is interesting i definitely think we should apply it to our future topic of oh, what did you call this like you called one of the topics something i was like oh that's 100% renewable energy oh yeah or um that one can probably also be called perpetual motion. Yeah, there's a, another one too. Yeah. Oh, that's another one. Yeah, separate separate one. Those might. Well, we'll talk about that. Yes. They seem so related to me because if you had one. Well, it's funny because you like this list also has electromagnetic drives on it. I feel like we have covered that. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, Jesse, ion drives are possible. I'm not mm-hmm. going to ask you if they're possible or not. Do you think that this is the linchpin in us figuring out how to colonize space or make space travel a lot more approachable? Ooh. That is a question. Yeah, I guess so. I, 
Yeah. I think so. Interesting. I definitely think that definitely think that. I think that this is the this is the beginning of us finding more alternatives approaches to propulsion that we haven't really explored yet because this is like a outlandish uh-huh. but it works so it wasn't really all that outlandish so like what else could we be ignoring yeah. I kind of like I think I feel like it forces you as in our human nature to like go back and look at everything else that you've like instantaneously rejected for its uh, lack of potential possibility you're kind of required to go back and look at it now because like so many people have a approach the ion drive with like preposterousness on their faces only to be wrong yep it's true it definitely could go that way and if we could get to Mars in 10 weeks well shoot (laughs) it's over and we could in theory get back in 10 weeks maybe 11 depending on the solar winds there are people that take uh, cruises around the, the world that take longer than that. Yeah. You just cruise to Mars and back. Cruising. For a small fee. Jesse, I'm going to ask you a question you don't know the answer to. Yes. What are we talking about next week? I don't know the answer to that. We don't have it. We don't have one lined up, do we? We do. We do? Next week is our last episode of season four. Oh, then I, I think I might know what it is. But oh, let's, let's see. see. Let's see. Don't look it up. Do you remember? I think it is something to do. Oh, it's a public reaction to superpowers. That is it. Yeah. Man, you didn't even have to look it up. That's very impressive. Yeah. We were hoping to have uh, Jimmy back for that episode from uh, the Far East. Yeah, that'll and be a fun one. I think that'll be a fun one. That That's a superpower. Jimmy talking to us from China. Come on. <laughs> Let's see how the public reacts to that. Well, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us today. Visit impossiblethingspodcast.com to interact with the guys on Twitter, Facebook, and email. Questions, topic suggestions, corrections, and rants are always welcome. Also, find more episodes and see sources referenced in today's discussion. ImpossibleThingsPodcast.com for all things impossible. Impossible.